Hi. Before we start, I want to say up front that today we're going to talk about child abuse. Discretion is advised as you continue to listen. This is the Resilient Disciples Podcast, powered by Awana. I'm your host, Ross Cochran. Thank you for listening. I am always grateful that you choose to engage with this podcast, that you are listening to any conversation that we have, but I am particularly grateful today. Today, we're going to talk about child abuse, and we're going to talk about the tragedy that is child abuse, the trauma that comes from abuse, and how that permeates throughout an entire community. But the fact that you're listening to this podcast right now tells me that you are someone who is a fierce advocate for kids And I want to introduce you to an organization that I believe is uniquely positioned to help you and your ministry protect the kids in your community. The Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention, or as you'll hear me refer to them, ECAP, is a newer organization founded by Jeff Delrymple, who you heard last season on this podcast. They are a team of experts that are developing an accreditation process that your organization can go through to give you the tools you need to keep your kids safe and how you can respond to any form of child abuse that happens in your community, even if it's just an allegation of abuse. You can learn more about ECAP via the links in the show notes, and I would encourage you to check them out and register for their conference that's coming up in 2021. Teresa Sidebotham is an attorney that works with ECAP, and she has really made it her life's work to help protect vulnerable children. She starts this conversation with sharing why the experts involved with ECAP started this project, And I want to point out that you can learn more about Teresa specifically via the links in the show notes. Thank you for listening. Here is episode 10 of season two of the Resilient Disciples podcast. We're trying to build the kingdom of God by helping to protect kids, bring them into the next generation of the church. And, you know, any precious child you look at, you would rather die than have them harmed, right? So so that's really the impetus for the ECAP project. I love that. And, and I, I want to talk about the standards because I think when people approach a conversation like this, I feel like they have essentially two reactions, which is, oh my goodness, this is so sad. This is so tragic. And then whether consciously or not, they sort of are wind up being overwhelmed by those emotions and then they sort of turn away. And you essentially just said that this is a majority of your work. This is this is what you do and you're using the gifts that God's given you and your expertise and experience as a lawyer to leverage into helping protect these kids. We around Awana would call that being an advocate for kids, right? You are a, a very specific kind of advocate helping stand in the gap for kids in such a unique uh, and specific way. When did God make that clear to you that this was something that he had for you? When was this assignment? Because you, you made a decision to lean in, not just with ECAP, but with your life works. When did that happen? How did you make that choice? Because I think there's going to be folks who previously have been overwhelmed who are going to hear us talk about this and decide to lean in within the context of their own community. You know, I think the arc of God's stories is, is such a very long arc. So I was I was raised as a missionary kid in Indonesia and had some oh, of the wow. difficulties around that. Um, my husband and I got married after going to Wheaton College. We have four sons. We were on the mission field, and then we came back to the States. 
So we'd, we'd always been in ministry. Then I went to law school. And, and then it was through getting involved with a firm after law school that was doing, actually it was some of the Catholic sex abuse work that I, I, you know, I started to realize what was out there and, and realize, you know, the, the mission organizations, the churches, they need help on this as well. So after I started Telias Law, the practice just naturally developed in that direction, you know, having raised kids and you know, been in those situations, I have a heart for kids. And yes, it is dark, but Jesus came into the world to defeat the darkness. You know, building the kingdom of God is, you know, the gates of hell don't prevail against Jesus Christ. And so I don't think we turn away from a calling just because it's dark, but we need to ask God to bring that light to fill us with the Holy Spirit. And, and all we can do is our part. It might be a small part, but if we do that part, we're being faithful. Amen. Absolutely. And I, I just, I am always inspired by folks who make that choice to lean into those kinds of circumstances wanted to have this conversation and I really respect the work that ECAP is doing because I think folks, you know, my, my wife and I are foster parents. And I think sometimes folks look at big systemic issues like child abuse or the foster care system more broadly and think, man, this is so big. I don't know what to do to help. And I love that you were just like, yeah, like this, we're going to do this part. It's not going to solve everything, but what you guys have done with this is really revolutionary because it creates a way to tackle this and equip you as a church, as a church leader, as an organization to navigate this within the context of your community. One of the things that I at least believe to be true about this kind of work is that there's a lot of misconceptions about both what abuse actually entails, what it looks like, and also about how prevalent it is. Can you speak to what you would view as maybe the biggest or perhaps even most dangerous misconception about child abuse? Well, there are a lot of misconceptions, so you know it's it's kind of where do you start with that? But uh, you know, one of the misconceptions that are that is that people are more at risk within religious organizations, and and that's not actually true. The problem is the society has very high risk. Uh, they say they've done studies. They say up to ten percent of American men overall are, are sex offenders in one way or another. And so kids are at risk, and that's going to spill over into churches and ministries. Um, maybe a second misconception, you know, most evangelicals believe in the doctrine of original sin, but many pastors and churches act as if what they actually believed in is the doctrine that humans are basically good, and, and they're not. And so there's a sense of naivete or not wanting to say, you know, so-and-so could be a deeply flawed person or, or that we just need to always be watching because there's real evil out there. And, yeah. and I believe in Jesus a lot more, but I believe in evil. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I thank you for saying that because I think what, it, what I hope, I hope you, that doesn't scare people, right? But I so appreciate your clear-eyed leadership in this because I think that is what it's required to begin to uh, be the hands and feet of the church and combat some of this darkness because the website, which will be linked in the show notes for this conversation, makes it really clear. Broad reporting, broad studies suggest that 
one in three girls, women under the age of 18, will experience abuse before the age of 18, and one out of seven boys. So I say that just to level set for the listener that you know three girls in your church community. You know seven boys in your church community. You may be serving in a community that's, you know, that has hundreds of kids. And to remind yourself of what you're speaking to, the societal implications of the seriousness of this work. Because I hope that folks hear not only your faith and your hopefulness in, the, in this work, but that this is something that we have to get right. That this is not an option. This is not something that you can just assume everything's fine. Because if it's not, not only are you dealing with this sort of, forgive the poor metaphor, but the nuclear bomb of child abuse, but there are ripple effects from that that will affect your community for potentially a generation. You know, one of the things that, again, being connected to the foster care world, I feel like I'm sort of adjacent to this conversation. But one of the things that I'm really mindful of are those ways where an abuse allegation or actual abuse being perpetuated not only impacts the child, obviously, most egregiously, and, and the church, but it really does impact the community. And I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned that your, your law firm deals with this work quite a bit. How have you seen that play out? Well, when a child is abused, the, there can be really lifelong impacts from it, you know, from the trauma and ability to trust. And in some ways, we know now some of the effects of trauma kick in more later as the child gets older. Then, of course, you know, that affects family systems, that affects churches. Um, but it's important for child abuse allegations to be handled well. So many, perhaps most allegations are true, but there can also be mistaken allegations. And so the churches and ministries also have a responsibility to walk through the matter in, in a way that's just to everyone. So there's there's a lot of, in, in a sense, balancing acts or a lot of different principles and values to consider. And, and a large part of, you know, what we would bring as an outside attorney is, is just the balanced perspective and helping people, you know, the one mistake is you don't hear the person who may be a victim and you don't take that seriously. Or another mistake might be that you, you rush to judgment and, assume that someone's guilty just because they're accused and there's all kinds of possible process mistakes. And then there's legal mistakes and even crimes that it's possible to commit around not reporting. It's very complicated stuff. And we want to do it right for the sake of everyone in the ministry, first and foremost, the child, but everyone. Right. And we'll talk about this, I think in a second here, because I think it's important for folks to realize that, we are not leading this conversation just pointing out a problem and then saying good luck. One of the things that has been ro most remarkable about your work with the Evangelical Council for Abuse Prevention uh, is to that you've established uh, practices, you've established guidelines, you've established best principles, and what ultimately leads to accreditation process, which we can talk about later, for churches and organizations to begin to lean into this work. Now, I'm going to ask a question that might be a little unfair because you're an attorney, you're not a salesperson, but I think I can imagine that folks who are listening to this may feel like, uh, you know, why am I dealing with this right now during a pandemic? 
right? Like this, the sort of the strain of feeling overwhelmed with all of the other circumstances that people are having to deal with during COVID-19. But I actually think this is probably the exact right time to be dealing, to go through this process. And also there's no bad time for child protection, but how do you make that case to people that now is the time to engage in this, as you just said, complicated work? When I first talked to, to Jeff Dalrymple, who has founded ECAP, you know, what put it on his heart was all the news reports about churches and ministries that hadn't dealt with it well. And, you know, they'd left predators in place. They'd exposed people to risk. They hadn't just hadn't taken the actions and, and often through ignorance. And he just got this vision of let's have this external organization that provides standards, that provides the accreditation process. But Jeff is just like put, he and his family have stepped out and put their whole life into this yeah. without any guarantee of payment, without any guarantee that's going to work. And they've just been bold for the Lord. I mean, he's assembled a lot of people who believe in this and, and it's to help the ministries out there. It's because people say, yikes, you know, what do we do? How do we start? Where do we start? Well, ECAP and, and Jeff's vision here is to help you with that. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about one of my favorite organizations that cares about moms around the world. For nearly 50 years, MOPS, that's Mothers of Preschoolers, has gathered and supported moms. My wife has been involved in MOPS, and they believe in the simple but radical idea that remarkable things happen when moms come together. MOPS has practical tools and resources to help all moms, not just moms of little kids, with all of their needs. MOPS partners with churches and organizations from around the globe to equip and encourage moms in more than 68 countries. This global pandemic has created an opportunity to gather moms everywhere, and that's why MOPS has started Mama Meetups. Mama Meetups are online communities of 8 to 12 moms who gather twice a month to share their lives and parenting journeys. You can find groups for moms of kids with special needs, working moms, blended families, teachers, first-time moms, and so much more. Mama Meetups are the place to be, and MOPS is excited to help moms connect all over the world in this new way. You can join a Mama Meetup, and you can reclaim your joy, strength, and courage like never before. MOPS is calling it a comeback, and you can visit mops.org to learn more. So feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but when a church is going to go through this, you know, they're going to go through this accreditation process, what you as an outside organization are doing are offering expertise, steps, and uh, standards to hit that your organization then uh, awards an accreditation at the end of this process to ensure that a church, a ministry, the ability to confidently say that you are protecting your kids well. You know, this, we love to talk about loving, caring adults. And this is the ultimate perversion of a loving, caring adult. And you cannot disciple a child unless you are also protecting that child. One of the things that I think is really clear is you guys know what you're talking about. You guys are experts in this work. And you had made the point earlier that people may think that they know what they're doing, 
But in reality, there's a lot to child protection, but can you offer some specifics on what some of these guidelines, best practices, standards are that your group recommends for this accreditation? Our expert panel worked on developing standards in, in a number of areas, and I'm not sure what the final structure looks like, but but generally there's there's a piece on you know screening people and, and how you vet people before they even work with your organization. There's a piece on uh, how do you keep the, the facilities and programs safe? You know, what do you set up physically? What sort of guidelines do you have in place? There's a, a piece about what is the administrative responsibility of the leadership to put in place in terms of policies and so on. And then there's um, the training. How do you train people to understand how to respond well? And then if you do get some kind of allegation, how do you respond? How do you report? If there needs to be some investigative work, how do you do that? And then there's a care piece of you know, if someone's been harmed, how do you take care of them? So there's standards developed initially by the experts that I worked with, and then it's going through this refinement process that deals with all of that. And then once that's in place, the people who work on accreditation who are you know maybe more the the long-term ecap people they will work with organizations on that um, but when i when i do my training i like to talk about a concept that i i got from the catholics where you have to have three things for child abuse to happen you have to have a child who's vulnerable and a lot of children are you have to have someone who wants to offend against children. A lot of people do, you try to screen them out, but some people still get in. And then lastly, you need a capable guardian, which means you need to create a ministry environment where everybody is guarding the children. And even if somebody tries to offend, they'll get stopped because the environment is set up so well to keep children say. So if you can interrupt at any of those three points, helping protect children by strengthening them, screening out people who want to be offenders or improving the environment, you can actually make a huge difference. I mean, this stuff works. This is not just, oh, maybe pie in the sky. We hope so. We know from the studies it works. Absolutely. Because uh, I went through that training. Um, so it's nice to talk to you in person, not on a, uh, not on a webinar uh, format, but uh, the example I believe you gave in the training was, you know, a child is running around after church while their parents are talking and then that child runs out of church and then that child is in the hallway and that child is ducking in and out of rooms. And that's an experience that we've all had that moment after church of like, oh no, where's my kid, right? Um, or at least right. I have, and I'm admitting that to you. Uh, right now and for our podcast. But when you have a church environment that is that looks looks out for kids, that cares for kids, even in a situation where we are dealing with a extremely broken world, you are already set up to stop that abuse from ever happening and to dramatically uh, influence the life of a child by protecting them from this level of trauma. Because I also think about all of my friends who are non-believers who with the, you know, the mass systemic issues within the Catholic church, 
that gave them all of this credence to just never engage with church again. And they never experienced anything close to child abuse, but that was their, that was sort of a, uh, a feather in their cap of, yep, the church is full of hypocrites because the church didn't have people who enough people, I should say, who were caring for the kids who were being a capable guardian for them. As you said, you know, we talk about, uh, never one of the things come up in that training is, you know, always having two to one, you know, two adults, one child, um, as a sort of practice. And I think a lot of people who listen to this, they go, yeah, I'd really like to, you know, I'd really like to make sure that I have enough, but I can't get enough volunteers. Right. And they may throw sort of, uh, I don't want to say excuses, right? Because they're they're facts, but they may have a lot of reasons why they may not be able to meet certain criteria. And when I work with families in foster care, I always like try to say, you know, yes, the system is complicated. Yes, the system is broken. But I need you to look at these as ways to say yes, rather than like looking for ways to say no. So for a church out there that wants to implement these practices, but has real sort of practical roadblocks in between, can you speak to why those roadblocks need to be overcome for the sake of a child? Well, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's a matter of priorities. So, you know, if thinking about another area that's important for churches, taking the offering, most churches would not let a single volunteer count the offering because they know that's not good financial practice. And some of it tends to disappear in that case. <laughs> But, but even just for due diligence, even if the person's totally above reproach, they're going to have that second person there because they know it's important. Right. And similarly with kids, um, they will work on, you know, whether it's getting two adults in the Sunday school room or, you know, sometimes there can be some other creative solutions like a, a roving monitor and you know, doors that are open. But, but the point is making sure that an adult is not alone with children without any supervision. Once you realize how important the child safety principles are, you know, then you look for a way to make it happen. Um, You know, I know when I was a kid on the mission field, getting children educated was very difficult. And my parents who were actually quite poor went to great lengths to figure out how to get us educated. And I've been grateful my whole life. That was really important, but they figured it out. Absolutely. And I think folks need to understand that if, if this is something that you've sort of done through good faith and handshakes, you know, and you you like your church community, this has not been a thing. Again, not trying to scare people, but I want people to be motivated and wake up to the fact that there's an opportunity here to set standards in place to make guidelines and live out those best practices that are going to make a difference in your church health uh, for the long run. You know, we know that, you know, the kids who are in your children's ministry right now are going to lead the church of 2050 and the world of 2050 is going to be increasingly hostile to the gospel than the world of 2020 as crazy as this year has been. And certainly any year before that. So how vitally more important it is that we make sure that we're doing everything we can to take care of our kids. And I would further just argue that, If you are concerned about making it weird, right? Being a hallway monitor and making it weird to check your priorities, like you just said, that there is nothing weird about this. This is about child safety. And if you as a church, as a leadership team, don't make it weird for your volunteers, they will not feel like it's an, it's a, uh, 
it's a all of a sudden a drastic change and somebody did something wrong. This is about making sure that we all do something right. And it's also protective for the adults because, you know, say you volunteer to help out with your with your daughter's classes or her activities, you don't want to be in a position where somebody can come back and say, you know, you did this or you did that. You want to be able to say, I can prove that's not true because I was never alone with the child. I always followed the rules. I was always on, you know, the straight path. This is the way it went. And, you know, that helps to give a person a reputation that's unimpeachable. Mm-hmm. And in today's world, that's important too, because not all allegations are true allegations. Yes. And that to me where it's where it goes back to the accreditation, right? You're talking about reputation. You know, when I think about folks who are going to be after this pandemic, you know, this is a, this is a new world for churches where we have to both be able to exist online and exist in person, you know, for a wanna, we have to figure out how to be able to serve families wherever they are. And so that we can help families and churches disciple their kids. So you will have people who are looking into your church for the first time, who are looking into your children's ministry for the first time. You will have people who you haven't heard from in a long time come back. And what a gift it is to those folks to be able to show them that you are taking child protection seriously. And at the end of the day, that is what this accreditation does is it shows anyone who wants to look that this is something that you guys, that your church, your organization does well, takes seriously and is rigorous in enforcing its uh, policies in a way that is again, all about the safety of kids because there's no more important work. So Lifeway Research has a study where 44% of Protestant churchgoers say that they have been sexually victimized and 12% of those instances have happened within the church. And I say that just to show this, this is in your community regardless of what you think about your community, regardless of what you know about your community, it's there because the problem is that pervasive that it's just math. So I implore folks who are listening to this to take the steps with your church to take it seriously. And I'm so grateful for an organization like that, that you guys have because you are able to come in and support a church that is ready to do their own that work, but you're coming in with a plan. You're not being, you're being prescriptive in the steps but you're not being prescriptive in how that lays out within their community, right? You, you are entrusting the existing leaders within the community to get it right. And I just think that's so valuable and it's the way forward to combat some of this darkness. Yes. And as they, as we've worked on the standards as an ECAP puts them in place, there's going to be a lot of variety for different sizes of organization and, you know, types of church camps, Christian schools, mission organizations. So it's got, to be flexible. You spoke earlier about how Jesus is able to bring light into this darkness. Is that what brings is that what brings you hope in this kind of work? Knowing that there are I'm I would imagine you are aware of so many stories where that cycle has stopped and like where that direction has really changed? Or what what gives you hope about this kind of work? Certainly we see great stories about, you know, kids who get back on the right track, families that find healing, uh, religious organizations that correct whatever problems there are and do a much better job, an incredible job even of taking care of children. And, and on the human level, we have hope for all that, but 
beyond that, you know, we know who Jesus is. We know he cares about children. We know that at the end he restores all things. So what really gives this hope is every day we're doing the work of Jesus and that's what we're here for. The Resilient Disciples Podcast is powered by Awana. Awana is a global nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping leaders to reach kids with the gospel and engage them in lifelong discipleship. Awana is fueled by the generous support of individuals, churches, and organizations, as well as resource sales. Subscribe to the podcast today so you never miss an episode and go to resilientdisciples.com for more resources and many more of these conversations. The podcast is mixed, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Our theme song is Fresh Air by Christian hip-hop artist Josiah Williams and Hits by Jude. You also heard I'll Let Go, provided by Josiah Williams from his album, Rerouting 2. Thank you for listening. We'll talk next week.